it's one of those aha moments, the experience of seeing this with my own eyes. This was my, my first encounter, and hopefully the last encounter, because uh, I seen what I was looking for. This thing that was supposed to be a mess all these years, there it is, it's on a tree, and it's looking at me. This is the Cryptic Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and right over there is my co-host Todd. What's up, buddy? Hey, Brian. How you doing tonight, man? Oh, man. Living the dream. You know that. We got another Bigfoot encounter coming on tonight. Yes. Bringing our friend Val Zavala on to talk about his Bigfoot encounter in Michigan, not too far away from us. Yeah. Yeah, we recently met Val at the Michigan Bigfoot Conference. Yes, we did. That's pretty cool guy he has i think believe military and uh, law enforcement background so interesting to see yes. what he's got to say about his encounter tonight yeah i'm excited all right let's get him on here right on let's get him you're listening to the cryptid creatures podcast with todd and brian if you've had an encounter and want to be on the show Email us at info at cryptidcreatures.co or visit our website at www.cryptidcreatures.net. Thanks for talking to us tonight, Val. We appreciate it, man. You did see me at the uh, conference. Yes, we, we did. did. We met you at the Michigan uh, mm-hmm. Bigfoot Conference there in Chelsea. You guys are both from Michigan, correct? Indiana. Well, Indiana. Brian's from Michigan. I'm from Indiana. You're close. You're close. Yeah. So uh, I went back and started looking uh, into a very early incident that occurred in 1965 in Monroe County, Michigan, dubbed the Monroe Monster. The 1965 uh, Bigfoot caper that occurred in uh, Monroe, Michigan, occurred ex- almost exactly a year to the day that the thing happened in the Dewey Lakes, Sister Lakes, in 1964. And this is how the two were tied together. One was on the west side of the state. You would know this from from Indiana. You'd be familiar with this. And the other happened in the eastern part of the state, in Monroe County. But interestingly enough, uh, these two events happened on, on directly... Uh, in opposing directions of the state, west and east, they're both um, borderline counties to Ohio and Indiana. Through my study, through my learning, these Bigfoots, Sasquatches, are, are migratory. They're constantly moving like nomads. Unfortunately, with Indiana, uh, there aren't a lot of, of uh, researchers and stuff that I know of, but there's plenty of agricultural um, country there, which would be good food resources for for an animal like that. 
and I call it a banana milk. And so um, I started looking at this, and then I started uh, noticing some things in the news reports that I read about the Monroe Monster that that uh, gave me the impression that a lot of the stuff was being shut down and ridiculed. And the witnesses in that case were ridiculed and tortured with the with the, uh, the calls of being liars and mocked and ridiculed and stuff. The same kind of stuff that we see in Bigfootery today went on in 1965, which was worse, I think, because there were fewer people. There were there were no uh, computers and things of that sort to you know to to reach out and have a, a wider uh, uh, readership and stuff. So, anyways, I got in touch with uh, Bob Daigle from Michigan, a a well known, <clears throat> long time uh, Michigan Bigfoot icon. And uh, I asked him, I says, well, you, because I got all this time now, I'm retired. Can I go out with you? Can I, can I go hiking with you? And of course, uh, Bob was gracious enough to take me under his wings and, and impart with me what he's learned in um, Bigfoot researching. I, lo- I listened, I watched, and on July 14th, or July 19th, 2014, um, we were out in Waterloo Park, very close to that Chelsea, Michigan Bigfoot conference. And it was probably about three o'clock. We've been out there all day. It was very, very hot in July, very humid. I know I was miserable. The bugs and the mosquitoes were tearing us up out there. And I know we went through a couple cans of that off spray because we did go to lunch and we bought some more uh, spray at a party store, went back out there. And this is what set, this is what set the tables uh, for me. This was my my first encounter and hopefully the last encounter because uh, I seen what I was looking for in, in life when when uh, you're, you're a, a curious individual, you're looking for something that you can't find, but when you do find it, it's one of those aha moments. And um, the experience of of uh, seeing this with my own eyes, and not from a uh, grocery store uh, checkout counter in a newspaper, uh, this thing that was supposed to be a mess all these years. There it is. It's on a tree, and it's looking at me. And my first reaction to this was, "What the f?" I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to, to swear and, and use profanities and stuff a lot. I, I have, to be honest with you. But I said, "What the f? Are you kidding me already?" I mean, here this thing is, eight and a half, nine foot tall, hairy. Looking at me, blinking its eyes, and, and in your mind, at least my mind, I'm thinking this has got to be a joke. This has got to be somebody playing a joke. But how are they out here at uh, <clears throat> three, o'clock, uh, three o'clock midday, very, very hot, dressed like that? 
if, if that was a costume, how are they, how, how are they uh, doing this? Why are they doing this? And then I think as a matter of defensiveness, I called it a freak. I says, you freak, you. And the thing just sat there, stood there staring at me, blinking its eyes. And um, I don't know. I asked Janice Carter this question very early on. I says, uh, because I'm trying to deal with the thoughts and the feelings that I had after this. I says, what is it that I felt this thing staring at me? And I says, the feeling was that it was staring through me, not at me, but through me. And she says, it was reading you. I says, what do you mean reading me? She says, it was checking you out to see what, what kind of person you are, what you had in your heart. But I'm going to tell you something, gentlemen. To me, the experience was a lot like if somebody was standing over my shoulder, rifling through my, my computer files, reading my files. I didn't ask them to do that. I didn't give anybody permission to do that, but they're doing that. That is the feeling that I got. The feeling that I received was, was I didn't feel love. I didn't feel joy and happiness. I felt, I felt an exist, existential uh, sense of danger because I felt myself, I was very lucid in my thoughts. I felt myself almost succumbing to to uh, a paralysis of some sort. Uh, I've never been hypnotized or anything, but I've read enough about it to know that something's something's going on here. And I didn't ask it. I didn't invite it. But uh, I have no control over it. But what I feel is this thing, the Bigfoot Sasquatch, is a very, very powerful being uh, in a sense that you or I can't control it. In fact, we can't control the thoughts that we receive from this thing. What I understand, what I learned, what I think it is that I felt then is infrasound. And what came to mind when when I was under this, this obvious uh strangeness was that this is how to me, it occurred to me, this is how people go missing. Are you listening to me, fellas? This is how people go missing. They fall under this this, uh, sense of uh, euphorism, this this euphoric feeling that everything is okay, you know, hey, I'm ready to go to sleep. I'm going to lay down here and go to sleep. Well, you know, the tigers and other predators have the same thing. They use the same thing. And you can understand how they can get so close to deer and take a deer down by using the same thing. And so the only thing that I can equate my thoughts, my feelings under the situation was the instance where I was involved excuse me where I was involved in a head-on car collision back in 2003 at that moment there was there was the the slow motion everything was in slow motion you you 
probably read this before or heard somebody say this before. Believe it. Everything uh, becomes slow motion. It's like you're sitting back watching a movie script and you're watching these scenes slow and, and slow motion, but you're very, very lucid in thought. Your mind is a, is a marvel. You've heard this said before. Your mind is a marvelous thing. It really is because we're not we're not aware of how special we really are as human beings. We have capabilities we don't know we have. And I'm not a mathematician. I sucked in math in college. My wife is the mathematician. She is all about number as a math major. I'm a reader. I'm a history buff. I like talking, obviously, and writing. But math is not my, math and physics is not my strong suit. Never has been. But I'll tell you what, it, in, in, in the situation, in the experience I had in that car collision, was here I was thinking and calculating in physics. The distance, the time, the distance, the space, and how hard the impact was going to be when it happened, because it was going to happen. And it did happen. But I knew I was going to survive because I wanted to survive. I'm not ready to go yet. And when that happened, uh, everything went black. I was in a, in a black space. And here I was again, lucid in thought, similar to that situation during my encounter. And here I am thinking to myself, I can hear, I can sense, I'm thinking, is this, is this what death is? All blackness. And then I heard, of course, I heard the stirring around and, and, uh, I had, uh, broken my back in this, in this car injury. And I was off of work, you know, for a year recuperating from that. And then I had to learn how to walk and all that kind of stuff again. What I'm saying to you is that the encounter was so profound and the experience was so profound that it, it set me on the journey to do what I'm doing now. What am I doing now? I read, I measure, I compare, I quantify, and sort through reports using a, using a, um, one hundred and ninety-five different separate individual data data points. When I look at a report, I'm looking for keywords. I'm looking for keywords, and I put that in a database. I created four databases that I use. I probably I probably have between forty fifty thousand reports. When you talk to me about a subject about Bigfoot, and if you've seen my if you've seen my stuff on the uh, group site. Um, somebody will bring up a topic, somebody will bring up a subject like today on that uh, Bigfoot photo archive. Somebody was talking about, well, I don't believe that that's a, I don't believe that that's a, an accurate picture of a uh, Bigfoot because I've seen a smile on his face. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, yeah they smile. They, they, they have emotions like we do. But I said, not only do they smile, they grimace. They flash teeth. Uh, they frown. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they have emotion. They show emotion. They're not human like you and me. I don't know what they are. 
<clears throat> to be honest. I got ideas. There's a lot of data and there's a lot of information that uh, uh, that comes up that points to uh, unworldly, should I say, unworldly origins. And, and what I mean by that is that there's too many reports that that uh, bring UFO ufology into the into the mix. I'm not a, I'm not the person, Brian or Tom, Tom, to believe in coincidences. There's no such thing as coincidence. Everything has a purpose. There's a reason for everything. Everything in our life. There's a reason. Nothing is by happenstance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, getting back to what these things are, I don't know what they are, but they're they're not human beings. There's some place. There's there there's some type of enigma uh, between human and primate. You know, you got people that say, "Oh, they're forest people." They're, they're people. They're not people. These are animals of some sort. But um, if they were if they were people, they would be held to the same standards that we are. You go anywhere in your world, in your orbit of, the, of everyday life, and you uh, stalk somebody, you follow somebody, you go to their house and peek in their window, or you stand on their porch and yell and scream like a lion, or throw rocks at somebody and see how long you you last out there before you go to jail or something else happens to you. If they were people, they would be paying taxes like me and you, but they're not. If they were people, they would be in jail for, for similar things. You don't go to somebody's yard and destroy their property or steal their food. Or destroy their pets. You don't do that if they were people. If you don't hold them to the same standard, uh, they're not people. Plain and simple. So what are they? I don't know. But a lot of them live underground. They do. As well as a lot of other things. And um, that we that we... A lot of us don't know about, a lot of us don't want to know about, but there is, there's a world like this down there. Um, Val, you bring up a good point with that, with that uh, thing about if, if there were people, you know, they'd go to jail for, for looking in windows and vandalizing and yelling and whatnot. And that, that's interesting because if someone called and said, Hey, someone was, I saw a man. And clothes, throwing rocks at my house, and he ran into the woods. You know, those those officers are probably going to go until they find him. They're going to they're going to look for this guy and find him. If you say I saw an eight foot tall hairy creature throwing rocks at my house, they may or may not even go into the woods. And if they do, they're not going to find it most likely, and they're probably not going to spend that much time looking for it. The guys, the guys aren't trained for this stuff. They're really not, and and a lot of them. I can't speak for police officers, but I can only speak uh, from the perspective that I know how it was for me uh, on these different experiences, different calls and stuff. 
it's a it's it's a strange thing. It's it's a it's a phenomenon that that uh, um, at some point uh, people are going to have to come to grips with and, and say, hey, yeah, this this does exist. And here's another thing that bothers me, um, and I read this all the time. I'm no expert. I'm not an expert in, in bigfootery. I'm just a guy that's taken a time, nine years or, or whatever, to research this. And I mean really research it. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I want to know the nuances and I profile these, these things. How many people out there do this? I don't know. But um, I know that they're, they're, they're creatures of habit. There's, there's instances where these things are, are cited in, in very heavily populated areas, suburbs, even inner cities. And people can't come to grips with this because the television tells them that this only occurs and this only happens in the Pacific Northwest because somebody from Hollywood uh, in, these, in these shows tells them, you know, that that is, that is the case, that is so, but it's not. These things live everywhere. They live on the peripheral of the most populated areas, human beings, which is contrary to a lot of the experts who, who uh, like to get on these Facebook group sites and tell people they just want to be left, al- left alone. Well, I don't, I don't think that that's entirely true either, because if somebody wanted to be left alone, Todd or Brian, why, pray tell, would they go uh, try somebody's door, doorknob? What kind of response do you, they think that they're going to get? I live in the city. I'm only six or, t- or eight miles from Detroit city limits. I'm going to tell you something. You go try and, <laughs> you go try a doorknob around here. That's a no-no. You don't do that. Something's going to happen, and it's not going to be pretty. Right. So what, pray tell, do, do people think in their mind that um, that is accept- acceptable in today's world that we live in? Um, there's a lot of misnomers out there. Uh, there's experts that say this and experts that say that. They just want to be, no, they don't want to just be left alone. If they did, they wouldn't be on your property. They wouldn't be in your backyard. Val, do you think that over the years, these creatures are becoming more brave, uh, more, uh, more curious, and moving into more of the territories that you were talking about in our area. Um, is that is that possible? Is that why we're hearing more and more sightings popping up? Well, to to, to put this all into um, perspective, Todd, you've got to remember uh, you're from Indiana, correct? Yes. You're from Indiana. I'm in Michigan. There's there's 10 million people in Michigan. That's 20 million eyes. We have the technology today that we didn't have in 1965. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got a computer. And, and a lot of people have motor vehicles. A lot of traffic. A lot of people. A lot of people are mobile. A lot of people see things. People know now to report things. Uh, you combine that and compound that with the fact that 
I said before, I said earlier, that these things are creatures of habit. They're very nomadic. There are, in my mind, in my opinion, there are what we call residents. Those are Bigfoot Sasquatches that have been born and raised in Michigan on some particular uh, uh, land plot, maybe Berrien County, maybe Wayne County, maybe uh, Roscommon County. They're familiar with that area. There's some that aren't. There's some that are, are just moving through like nomads, uh, going, uh, going up north, coming back from up north, going to Canada, coming back from Canada, coming, coming out of Wisconsin, going to uh, Indiana, Ohio. There's, there's a constant flux of movement. And when you have, when you have traffic like that in and out all the time, you're gonna you're gonna run into situations where some of these things, Brian and Todd, are very familiar, very familiar with the territory that they're on, with the terra firma that they stand on. Almost to the fact that they have memory of being being born here. They're familiar with that area. It's it's like being home. It doesn't matter that things have changed since they've been there, they're familiar with it. And to me, in my mind, that's how we find uh, some of these things in inner, inner city, in suburbs and stuff like that. <laughs> Excuse me, because they've been there before. They're familiar with the area. Uh, and that segues into something else that I'm going to tell you. Uh, another another uh, issue that I have with some of the stuff that you see on the group sites and the Internet is Oh, these things are lovely. They're just like kids. We give them some toys, give them some food, give them some apples and oranges. And listen, once you start that, once you start that gifting, you don't stop it. You cannot stop it. When you stop it, you got holy hell to pay for it. To the point where some people flee their homes and their property over this. How do I know this? Because I, because I see it, because that's what I research. I've seen it over and over again. But Val, uh, they just love, and, and this is just peace and happy. These are not toys. These are not pets. These are creatures. These are beings. Um, you've got people. You've got people fleeing their properties, um, who are very, very frightened, very fearful of their, the safety of their children. So they leave their properties, and, and we drive around, and we see this beautiful farm area and stuff. We say, oh, that's a good price. Yeah, you know, we're going to jump into that. Well, you jump into that, you're going to step into a situation that somebody else created, and they didn't want to tell you that because, you know, they want to sell the property and move on and stuff. That's a lot like, that is a lot like uh, these, these private uh, toilets that you have. You know, restaurants, gas stations, uh, rest areas. People go in there and make a stinking mess. Some people leave the mess, leave the pile for somebody else to see and take care of. You see, this is what baiting and stuff is like. You've made a mess. You've made a mess. When people encourage you to go out there and put food and honey and marbles and this and that and who knows what else. And you stop. You just felt that it's time to stop this stuff. 
Well, you st- well, you once you stop it, you can't stop. You, once you start it, you can't stop it. That's the way it is with these things. And so, therefore, you got them coming around your house, papering in the windows, trying your doors because they're hungry. They're hungry, and they're letting you know they're hungry. <laughs> but you created a problem that, that should not have been. And if you think for an instant that that I'm off base here, consider the bears in the state parks and the national parks. Why do they tell you not to feed the bears? Right. Because they come around. They'll keep coming around. They'll keep coming around, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because we just, we interviewed a guy a month or so ago, and he lives up there in Michigan, and he's Mm -hmm. got a, a farm, ranch kind of thing up there. And he was having some interactions with Bigfoot, we're guessing. And uh, it's just a couple weeks ago, his, his property is for sale now. Amazing how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. I didn't think anything about it until you just said that. Yeah. So, uh, I know I'm getting into a lot of stuff, gentlemen. Just uh, if you want to guide me to a certain uh, subject topic, have at it. I'm, I'm here uh, for the duration. Well, I just wanted to ask you real quick, back to your encounter, how close do you think you were when you saw the creature, and can you describe its face to us in detail? Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't nose-to-nose with this thing, thank God. Um, I was probably 50 feet, 50 feet. Close uh, enough. Close enough. That's close that's enough to close. see the face. <laughs> and and uh, the photos that I took, I only took three three photos. I know I took more. But the only photos that I that I can show for and speak to are the three photos that that, that came out and that I have possession of, and I haven't posted on my group site. <clears throat> One of them is a is a photo of <clears throat> the uh, beam showing its its entire right half, and that is from the face, neck, uh, right shoulder, chest belly, uh, right down to his calf, leg, calf area. All of that was hairy. The color of, I, I equate that to the color of, uh, it was a reddish brown color in real life. It was uh, the color of brand new Carhartt coat material. Um, that, that color, brown red. The face itself was was almost hairless and um the complexion the complexion on this individual uh was shiny almost like a plastic sheen to it and somebody suggested well maybe that was sweat and oils you know from the skin and stuff that, that caused it to shine and give it that 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 sheen look to me when i called it a freak uh, it did look plastic, and I and I can tell you that from my previous experience, having seen uh, corpses, uh, they have that look. They have that that dead, uh, pale uh, sheen about them that looks almost plastic, and that's what that's what um, stuck in my in my mind when I looked at this thing, and. Um, one of the things that, that 
that I need to say is that all of these things don't look like a gorilla. They don't look like like the Patterson Gimlin patty, you know, black, hairy, bulky. These things, these things uh, look like what I've seen. Some of them look like uh, like Chewbacca, the hairy werewolf. And that runs into another uh, topic where people talk about dogmen and stuff. I'm not into that. I, I don't know anything about dogmen, but I do know that this individual that I seen with my own eyes, it was accompanied by a second. There was multiple creatures there. And I did see the blonde-haired Chewbacca-type uh, being up in the tree higher next to him. Whether it was a male or female, I do not know. But it had red lips, and it seemed almost uninterested in me and what was going on down below, because it was just looking off into another area. And uh, one individual that came on my group site from the UK took my photo, sent it back to me with a bunch of red circles. And what he was doing was he was pointing out black individuals on the ground around me and, and Bob Daigle at the time. And he was saying that, well, there was at least four or five other ones on the ground, crouching down, laying down on the ground all around you. And you didn't know. And I didn't. I didn't see that. What I did see, what I did see, and what I didn't say earlier when I, when I spoke of my encounter experience was that when we walked into this, when we walked into this uh, uh, area, we had just crossed a agricultural field, and uh, this is Waterloo. There's a lot of swamp in that area, patches of uh, forested areas, little islands, and all that kind of stuff. But this area that we went into, the first thing that we noticed when we walked in there, while we were walking through the uh, the, the thick uh, uh, trees and weeds and stuff was not only the mosquitoes and the flies and, and remember what I just said there that's important to this whole thing was that uh, we heard uh, things flickering through the leaves and we didn't know what it was I mean it was a beautiful day summer day very very hot very humid and Bob stops me and says, Val, what is that noise? And I said, well, I don't know. It sounds like acorns or something flickering through the leaves, the trees. As we continued moving forward, we heard the first sharp report of, of wood breaking. When I say sharp report, it's, it's loud in the woods, like a gunshot. This wasn't a twig breaking. This was a pretty considerable thick piece of wood that was breaking and we stopped and paused and bantered that back and forth while we still heard these things flickering through the trees up above us. We weren't exactly at that spot yet, but we were getting closer. Those should have been telltale signs that something was going on. The bugs, the flea, the uh, mosquitoes, the flies biting thick, very thick. I mean, almost unnaturally so. So we proceeded forward, and again, the same thing, this 
it's not raining outside. There's no reason for anything to be falling through the trees like that. And in fact, we weren't even around any uh, oak trees where there could be uh, acorns. But we continued forward. Again, we heard another crack, the second one. Boom. We stopped again, a little more cautious. But this is unusual. We never ran into any of this during the day, earlier in the day, except in this area. Then we come to an area where we see a great big, I don't know if it's an oak tree or whatever, whatever kind of tree it was. It was a huge tree that was on its side, roots up and everything. This is unusual. But again, for somebody that, that, that's, that studies and researches this stuff, these are, these are pretty good telltale signs that something's up. And again, I'm pretty new to this stuff at the time, 2014. Uh, you know, I'm making mental notes of this. I'm, I'm looking up above me. Uh, you know, I'm a police officer. I'm a former uh, military veteran. You know, pretty streetwise. Did well in the streets. But I don't want to be surprised by anything, but I'm not ex expecting to see a Bigfoot or Sasquatch. You know, it's just not happening. But then we see a great big... Uh, bramble bush that looked like a tunnel inside of it. Huge. And it had to have been six, uh, seven or eight feet long. It was very long. And there was a tunnel inside this, this, uh, Bigfoot nest. I'm certain that's what it was. And Bob, uh, shimmied over the other side of this fallen tree. And, it, and I stayed where I was at on the opposite side, just looking around, looking behind me. I don't want anything coming up behind me. And uh, he's on his hands and knees, and he's uh, looking inside the, trying to trying to see the end of that nest to see if there was anything in there. And uh, it was dark. Neither one of us carried a flashlight. While he's looking at uh, looking that over, I'm looking around, and I see this thing on the tree, and I'm stunned. I am stunned. I got a camera with me. But what I do, I'm talking to Bob, he's talking to me, over his shoulder, and what I do, gentlemen, is take that camera without giving any, any uh, without telegraphing my intentions, I turn around and just start snapping pictures in a, in a 100 degree 80 uh, circle. That's how I captured it. That's how I, I snapped the photo of it. And after I went through this, this, uh, staring contest with this thing, it seemed like, it seemed like to me, like it took a lot of time. It seemed like I lost some time there. That's what it felt like to me because it was already starting to get dark. Um, when this all ended and stuff. And what was, what I seen, uh, there in that area, not only was the fallen tree there, and the large Bigfoot nest, there was also a large uh, three-stick teepee, pulled teepee, right in that area, too. When you look at the photo, go to my group site, you'll see it. Uh, right there above, there's a little stick, pointer stick that's, that's in that photo, right above the uh, timestamp. You'll see this, the uh, teepee there, right there for everybody to see. And to my to my left, to my exact left, is where the 
the individual is on the tree. So we go through this, we go through this emotional thing, uh, back and forth, staring at each other. And I'm telling Bob, we got to leave. What do you mean, Val? I, I didn't hear you. I said, we got to leave now. I just get the feeling that we have to leave. I'm a chess player. I mentioned before, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a card player. I suck at playing cards. Don't, don't ever have me as a Euchre uh, team player. I said, we ain't going to do it. But um, as a chess player, I know, and as a student of, of Junju, the art of war, I know uh, you don't hum humiliate your enemy. You humiliate your enemy, and that's the, that's the most dangerous enemy you can have. You can know when you sit down and compete against another person or thing, you know when you've defeated them. You don't need to rub their nose in it and, and, and all that kind of stuff because they're a dangerous adversary at that point. This is what I'm telling Bob. I says, we got to go. Let me say this. When we're thinking about this stuff and this infrasound, that experience and stuff, the only thing that I felt that, that released me from that grip was the thought of free will. When we're born, God gives us free will. We have the free will to think for ourselves, and when I when I started thinking of that, that's when I felt that that influence dissipate over me, and I was ready to go. And now it's it seems like it's ready to ready to. It's very uh, dusk outside. Where did all this time go? I don't know. Where it went? It seemed like we were there forever. So that's when we left, huh. and, and I told Bob. Bob wanted to, wanted to get into some conversation about why we leave it now. And, and all I wanted Bob to do was, Bob, I says, I says you got to leave now. If you don't leave, I says, I'm going to leave. I don't want to leave you here by yourself, but we have to leave. Just trust me. We get out of that, get out of that forest. We, we get up to the edge of that, um, that uh, agricultural field. And right there, gentlemen, is an impression, a footprint. I got a photo of that also on my group site. 17 and a half inch. You take that footprint and you, and you, and you multiply that times 6.5 and that'll, that'll bring you a, uh, your answer. Whatever your answer is, when you multiply those, those, that formula, you divide it by 12 inches to a foot, it'll tell you what what size that thing was. And that was nine feet. So that's that's been my experience with this. It took me a year to go back out there again. I didn't want to go back. I did not want to go back out there. I did go out there a year later. What I found when I went out there was somebody went out there and sanitized the entire place. The tree, the big tree, the large tree I told you that was that it had fallen, it was gone. The TP that was there, gone. The Bigfoot nest that was there, gone. The only thing that you've seen at that location was little chips of uh, wood from like chainsaws and stuff. <laughs> what do I conclude over this? When you go into state parks and national parks, the officials 
they have they have cameras all over the place. Think about that when you go out there. And, oh, it's time to pee out there. I got to go pee and stuff, you know. Think about that. Why do I say that? It's because of the 1,960 Bigfoot reports that I have in Michigan alone, which is the largest Bigfoot uh, uh, database in Michigan right now. Um, there's a, there's at least a half dozen or, or more reports of citizens, just good citizens that happen to be listening to uh, <coughs> police scanners. Before Michigan went digital, we all had, all law enforcement across Michigan had analog radios, which meant that uh, some people sat at home and listened to their, their scanner. That's what they did. They enjoyed doing that. That's when they picked up radio conversations between DNR and sheriffs, talking just like you and I are talking, because they didn't think anybody else was listening. But unfortunately, you know, somebody was... Somebody was writing it down. A lot of good reports. A lot of, a lot of good reports confirming what, what we think we already know. That, yeah, there's somebody else out there watching and they see and confirm this for, you know, for the good of everybody. Anybody that says, uh, somebody knows more than they're saying. Yeah, I believe that because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sting operations. That go on every day in state parks and national parks. You know, they're, they're looking for people that, that poach and people do do that. And therefore they have the rate, they have the cameras and stuff they got. Now they've got, uh, the drones and stuff that they use. All this stuff, all the stuff that you can imagine that they use and apply for, for law enforcement every day on the streets. They do it out on the, in the woods. And you cannot convince me that they don't see stuff out there because they do, because I got reports yeah. that say they do. For the listeners, what is the name of your Facebook group page? It is Michigan Bigfoot Reporting Data, Gumshoe Guys Corner. And I've seen the pictures on there, and I think I showed Brian too. We've, we've both looked at them. Those have to be uh, the best non-blob squatch pictures yeah. that I've seen. Um, yeah, some of the best I've seen. You were really thinking when you pulled your camera out and, and took those pictures in that 180 degree. And they are really good quality. I mean, you can see there's something, what it is, you know, who knows, uh, Bigfoot, obviously. But, um, yeah, they're really good pictures. Well, you know, I used a cheap Kodak digital camera because, after all, I mean, there was no such things as Bigfoot. And I, why would I go out and spend $300 for a camera that? Right. Know, I can just throw away if I drop it, lose it, no big deal. But uh, after I took the pictures and stuff, you know, that quality of digital uh, photography is not it's not what I would like, but it's what I had. It's the only thing I had. I, I, I didn't use a cell phone uh, camera, but um, some people say, well, you know, uh, maybe you'll see another one. I really don't want to see another one. Uh, I took one bite of that apple. I don't need to take another one. But uh, there's a lot of people that say, well, I, I really wish I could see one. Well, you know, if you do have somebody with you, that's the only thing I can say. That's the only th recommendation I would give you. If you see one, make sure you have somebody with you and and be ready to steal yourself for the 
mockery and the ridicule because you're not going to keep it to yourself. Chances are you're going to tell somebody and you're going to get a little dose of that ridicule and mockery that goes with it. We really appreciate your stories and coming on tonight. Those are amazing uh, encounters and stories and, and all the stuff that you do up there in Michigan and all the information you've collected. And you're just a big part of this, uh, you know, Bigfoot world that we're in here and, and being the influencer and researcher that you are. So we really appreciate you being here and talking with us tonight. Yeah, we do. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks, Val. Have a good night. You too, Val. You too. See you, bud. Bye. Uh, that guy's got a lot of uh, Bigfoot reportings, Bigfoot statistics. Uh, he's really collecting a lot of information up there in Michigan. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, to read some of that for anything he puts it out. Have you noticed we've getting getting more and more Michigan encounters lately? Seems yes, Dogman and Bigfoot popping up, popping up more and more. Uh, the more people that we talk yep. to, the more people we run into, the more people that we're conversing with. Uh, I saw yeah. one in Michigan. Yeah, it was up in Michigan. So yeah, we we hear that a lot. We hear man, big Michigan's full of that. Right. So yeah, we're finding that out. So if you live in Michigan, if you had an encounter, get a hold of us. Reach out to us. Absolutely. Check out our website, www.crypticcreatures.net. Right on. It's like a one-stop shopping for everything cryptic creatures. You can email us there. You can check out our store. You can uh, get extra content and see what it's all about. So once again, guys, we appreciate you listening and uh, being here with us tonight. Brian, my friend, I appreciate you as well. Oh, man, always fun. Until next time. Right on. See ya. (laughs) 